here's the question I want to ask you as we begin. What kind of a legacy do you want to leave when your life is over? President Theodore Roosevelt once said this, no man is worth his salt who is not ready at all times to risk his body, to risk his well-being, to risk his life in a great cause. Now, we can take those words from him as reality because he lived what he believed. Before he became president, he was famous for leading his Rough Riders up San Juan Hill in the Battle of San Juan Hill to take the heights. And for that, he was uh, highly proclaimed and, and awarded. He also taught that courageous value to his children. That was part of his legacy, how he lived, how he acted, his courage during those times, and his son, Ted Jr., uh, took that to heart. So fast forward now from the late 1800s in the Spanish-American War in Cuba to, uh, to June the 6th, 1944, uh, D-Day during the Allied invasion. Uh, General Ted Roosevelt Jr. Uh, was pleading with his superiors to let him go ashore with the first wave, and he'd been turned down so many times, but he kept at it until he finally relented, and so he became the only general to arrive by landing craft via the sea to the beaches of Normandy. The other thing is you need to know that he was 56 years old at the time, making him the oldest man to arrive on the beaches of Normandy. He walked with a cane because of injuries he had sustained in World War I. And so there he is on the beach with his cane standing upright as the fire came down from enemy guns. They landed about a mile south of where they were targeted on the beaches of Normandy. And so General Roosevelt, reconnaissance, the whole area himself came back to where they were. And he said, all right, gentlemen, we're going to start the war from here. And he stood on the beach after all these landing craft came in back and forth and back and forth, directing traffic, shells landing around him, debris and mud splattering all over him and sustained during the whole time. Long after World War II was over and General Omar Bradley, who was one of the architects of the Allied invasion, was asked what was the most heroic moment he ever saw. He said it was Ted Roosevelt on Utah Beach. Both men, President Roosevelt and General Roosevelt, were posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor, the highest honor our country can give. Like father like son, a legacy of courage and greatness. That's finishing strong. When we come to this passage, we are peering into the legacy of courage and greatness that the Apostle Paul is leaving to his son in the faith, Timothy. These are Timothy's last written words, or these are Paul's last written words to Timothy. These are Paul's last written words in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, last words take on a significance of their own. If I knew the letter that I was writing to my wife Elsie or to my daughters or to my grandchildren was going to be my last letter, it would be a lot different in tone than the notes that we share on a day-to-day -day basis. If you were writing your last words, what would that letter contain? What would you emphasize one last time? What values would you impart? What encouragement would you share? You see, last words have an impact. 
Some last words are inspiring. Thomas Edison, the great inventor, when he died, his last words were these. It's very beautiful over there. Makes you wonder what he saw. Some last words are tender. On his deathbed, President James K. Polk whispered to his wife, I love you, Sarah. For all eternity, I love you. Tender words to remember. So what did Paul have to say to Timothy in his last words? And consequently, folks, to us. Because the New Testament applies not just to Timothy, but to all of us. What are the themes? What are the words that are so impactful? Well, there's a lot to unpack in 2 Timothy. I wish we had time to explore it all in great detail. We don't, but here are some great themes that come out of the chapters. Chapter 1, so never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Chapter 2, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Chapter 3, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. All Scripture is inspired by God. That's like the theme verse of this whole series that we're studying. The word inspired means God breathed. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us whatever is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So there's a call to courage here. There's a call to be strong. There's a call to trust God's Word. But this morning, I want us to focus in on the last words of Paul, chapter 4. And Paul gives us some things that if we want to finish strong, we must do. Here's the first one. If you want to finish strong, speak up. In verse 1 of chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructions. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, this passage is, is particularly heartwarming to me. This passage, these words were read at my ordination to ministry nearly 37 years ago. I would venture to say that they are read at every ordination to ministry because this is the heartbeat of preaching. Paul says, I charge you, Timothy. This is serious business, Timothy. Do not take these words lightly, Timothy. Boldly proclaim, preach, speak up for Christ. Now, this word preach here is really the word that we would normally translate herald. To be a herald is to be a messenger of the king. A herald only said what the king told him to say. So when the king had a message to get out, he used a herald. This word does not apply to the military leader who can exert force. This word was not used to apply to an ambassador who had the right or the privilege to negotiate terms. This word only applied to the messenger, the herald of the king. Whatever the king wanted said, that's what the messenger said. 
Now, some of you maybe are checking out saying, hey, I don't need this. I'm not a preacher. Oh, but you are. This, this is not about what I, I do in a formal setting like this on a Sunday morning. All of us, all of us are heralds. All of us are messengers. We all have this responsibility to speak on a daily basis of our faith. St. Francis of Assisi is supposed to have said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Our lifestyle is important. Undoubtedly, what we do with our life either supports or denies what we say with our lips. But that's not what Paul is saying here. It's good advice, but Paul is saying this, preach the gospel, and if at all possible, use words. You see, you can't just live and, and hope people can interpret it. Sometimes you have to speak up and to speak out for your Savior. Because you see, people need to understand why you live like you do and why you follow Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, you, you don't have to know, folks, all of the answers to the tough theological questions, that's, what, that's not what most people want to know. Most people just want to know, what does Jesus Christ mean to you? Why are you a follower of him? And, and you can tell them that. I can tell them that. That's the part that most people want to know. And the reason they want to know it, Paul says, there are some important reasons why we should share it. First of all, Jesus is going to return and folks need to be ready when he does. He said, at his appearing, when he comes, people need to be ready. He says, people need to, need to know the truth because they're being deceived with lies and myths. If nobody tells you the truth, it's easy to be carried away by something that's not true. Paul says, you've got to share the truth. But the most important reason comes in this incredibly beautiful passage that Paul writes next. Because Paul is saying, Timothy, I, I'm about to die. It's your turn. You're taking over. It's as if Paul is in a relay race and he's about to hand off the baton to the next runner, who is Timothy. And this is what he says in verse 6. For I am already poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The word departure here is such a beautiful word. It, it, it is used to describe a ship that has weighed anchor and set sail for the blue of the ocean. It is a word that is used to describe a family who has struck their tent and packed up their belongings and is moving to another location. It's a word that is used to talk about a farmer who takes the yoke off the shoulders of a team of oxen to rest them and to give them peace. It is a word that is used to describe the loosening of the chains on a prisoner's ankle and the opening of the prison door so that the prisoner is free to go home. You see what Paul's saying? He says, Timothy, I, I'm on my way out. My ship has sailed. My chains are gone. I'm going home. This is now your responsibility and ministry. What an insightful summary of life. He fought the good fight like a soldier that stands on the field of battle, exhausted but victorious, and he's run a good race like the one who doesn't give up but crosses faithfully the finish line, and he's kept the faith like a steward or a manager who's kept perfectly that which has been entrusted to him. So here's my question. If you died today, if you died today, tomorrow, could some member of your family say about you, 
Well, I, I can cer certainly say this about Dad. He really did fight a good fight. He, he, he ran hard the race and finished the race. And he kept the faith to his very last breath. Could, could your children say that about you? Because if they can't, then something needs to change in your life. Because that needs to, that needs to be the closing verse. That needs to be the epitaph of every one of our lives. That we've run the race faithfully. That we've fought the fight with great power. And that we've kept the faith to the very last breath. And Paul says, consequently, there is a crown laid up for me. Now, this was the victor's crown, which would be the equivalent of a gold medal in the Olympics for us today. You've gotten the medal, and it will last for eternity. So here's my question for you this morning with regard to legacy and finishing strong. Who are you preparing to hand the baton to when you die? Who is going to pick up where you leave off? Are you, are you raising up anybody? Who will be in heaven because you spoke up and shared your faith? If you want to finish strong, speak up. Second thing Paul says here is reach out. Reach out and build relationships. Now, when we read these closing verses uh, of the text, it is amazing to me the number of people that Paul mentions here. When I think of the Apostle Paul, I think of one who was in prison and he was writing this great discourse on, on theology and Christianity. And sometimes I think we have this picture of Paul being in this intense preacher and this intense writer. But can I tell you, Paul had a, a double-edged um, uh, ministry. One of it was the preaching and the teaching of the Word. The other was the building of relationships. You, you and I probably don't realize it when we read Paul's writings, but he was a people person. Uh, author Warren Wiersbe says that when we read in the Bible that there were at least a hundred people in Paul's close circle of influence. The names we read in the book of Acts and the names that we read in his letters, at least a hundred people. Do you have a hundred people in your close circle of influence? And we don't have any idea how many extras that Paul were that we don't have recorded in Scripture. He was all about loving others. Can I remind you this morning that above all else, relationships count most? Your relationship with God and your relationship with others are top priority. When, when our grandkids come into the house and we're going to play with Legos, we got them in a couple, three different containers. Do you know what the first thing is we do with the containers? <laughs> Dump them on the floor. That's exactly right. Do you know why? Because you can't play with Legos any other way. Did you ever try to play with one Lego? <laughs> you, you can't play with one Lego. They are not designed to be played with by themselves. They are designed to connect. It's only when they connect to other Legos that you can build the coolest of things. One Lego doesn't count. Paul needed Timothy at this time. Paul was getting ready to die. He was about ready to be beheaded. He knew his days were numbered. He needed Timothy's strength. As a matter of fact, in verse 11, it says, only Luke is with me. So get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Paul says, I, I, need, I need a relationship in my closing days. We all do. The hermit or recluse is not the norm. Most people crave relationships. 
Why? Because God created you that way. God is a relational God. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God himself is relational. A Japanese linen company has marketed an $80 pillow designed for single women. The pillow is fitted with a man's shirt and has a linen arm in the sleeve that curls around the user to bring a sense of comfort and security when she sleeps. Now, we know that a pillow is no substitute for a relationship. And do you know yet, when that pillow hit the market, a thousand orders were placed immediately. It tells you how much people miss relationship, how much they crave having a relationship. Some people are desperate for a relationship, but they may not be good at building a relationship. I read of a guy who called his friend, and he got this message on the answering machine. He said, I'm not available right now, but thank you for caring enough to call. I'm making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. If I do not return your call, you are one of the changes. (laughs) I suspect that guy has a hard time building relationships. What do you think? If you're looking for relationships, but you're not sure where to start, can I encourage you? There are a lot of opportunities around here. I would suggest you start looking at our life groups. Uh, Go to our website, uh, socc.org, under the adult uh, uh, tab, click that and open up life groups. There's a place where you can click on and sign up for a life group. You'll be contacted by one of the members of our life groups team who will try and help plug you into a life group. More importantly, if you would like to lead one of those groups, there's a place for you to click that and you'll get some training on how to lead a life group because life groups help us build relationships. You say, well, I don't think I want to do one of those. Okay, well, we have classes here. We have ministry teams here. We have short-term mission groups that go out from here. There are a lot of opportunities for relationships. We're trying to be be better and and process these opportunities. But i got to tell you, you've got to take the initiative to connect. We can't make you relational. Only you can do that. We can provide you with opportunities, but you have to connect. And one Lego alone won't do it. When it comes to connecting and building relationships, there is no equal to children. It's no wonder why Jesus said, unless you all become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Just look at children in their relationships with others. They are blind to such things as skin color, beauty, or social standing. They make friends quickly. You give them an hour together, and they'll have a new best friend. They forgive easily. The hurt is soon forgotten, and they go on as if nothing had happened. They trust implicitly. They hold hands tightly. They love genuinely. When I'm having a tough day, when my world feels topsy-turvy, all I have to hear is a grandchild of mine whispering in my ear, I love you, Da, and the whole world is right again. And you say, but other people can say that. Yeah, but it's not the same because when it comes from someone innocent who loves you unconditionally, It changes things. You see what we need to learn from kids? The other night, Elsie um, 
had one of her music programs at uh, Unionville School where she teaches uh, music. And afterwards, a lot of the uh, parents and some of the kids were there talking to her and encouraging her and, you know, talking about the program. But I don't think any comment meant as much to her as when our two-year-old granddaughter, Hayden, who is just now putting words together in sentences, came up and she said, good job, Gamma. <laughs> you see, there's something when children build relationships, it just makes all the difference in the world. What's the difference between the way kids build relationships and we do? It's children don't let unimportant things keep them from building the all-important relationships. How do we live in such a way that we become good relationship builders? How can we reach out and build relationships? Well, Paul gives Timothy the answer in chapter 2, verse 22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. If you want to finish strong, folks, if you want to reach out, then stay away from the stuff that is tempting. And instead, pursue righteous living. Do the right thing. Live faithfully. Live lovingly. Live peacefully. And enjoy the companionship of the body of Christ. And when you do that, you will have friends, and more importantly, you will be a good friend. You see, relationships matter more than anything, so reach out and build them if you want to finish strong. Last thing that Paul writes here is it's simply that we need to act now. In the closing lines of Paul's letter, you can sense both sadness and urgency in his words. Beginning in verse 9, this is what we read. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only, only Lucas with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Do your best to get here before winter. There are sad words here. Paul comments on, on Demas. Three times we read about Demas in the Scriptures. The first time Paul describes Demas, lists him along with Mark and Luke as one of his fellow laborers in the cause of serving Christ. Second time Demas appears, he just appears as a name. There's no commentary. There's no encouraging words. The third time he appears in this passage. Demas, because he loved this world has deserted me. Folks, I do not believe Paul's burden was that Demas had left Paul. I think Paul's burden was that Demas had abandoned his faith in Jesus Christ because he loved this world more. When we read about loving the world in the Scriptures, it simply talks about the things of this life, the philosophies of this world, the values of this world. And John writes in his letter, he says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Be very careful. The things of this life can be so inviting and so enticing. Guard your spiritual allegiance at all cost. Demas didn't. You must. And then can you also sense Paul's urgency? Do your best to come to me quickly. And then that poignant statement at the very end, do your best to get here before winter. 
Paul knew that time was of essence. Paul needed his cloak that he left with Carpus at Troas for warmth, and he needed his scrolls, especially the parchments for study. But more than any of it, he needed Timothy for companionship and strength in his closing days. Come, Timothy. Come before winter. If Timothy procrastinated, the ships would not sail. Winter was coming when the seas would be closed to traffic. Between the months of November and February, you could not travel the seas because it was too treacherous. And so Paul knew that if he waited until springtime, it would be too late that Timothy would come to visit Paul's grave as opposed to visiting Paul himself. Come before winter. Time is of essence. Today we stand on the threshold of spring, I think. <laughs> but I'm stirred by these words of Paul, come before winter. Procrastinating is so easy, isn't it? I went to procrastinators.org, their website, where they offer annual calendars that instead of starting with the month January, start with the month March. I saw on a t-shirt, I put the pro into procrastinate. You see, the problem is that procrastination is the art of keeping up with yesterday. We don't have forever here. Our time is limited in this life. Come before winter, Paul writes. As the years rush by, I realize more and more that time is a gift, and now is always the best moment. None of us can afford to procrastinate when it comes to the spiritual matters of this life. Someone wisely put it this way, God has promised forgiveness to your repentance, but he has not promised tomorrow to your procrastination. Do not wait. While it is still springtime in your life, or while it is summer in your life, or while it is fall or autumn in your life, get your priorities straight. First things first. It's relationships. It's acting now. It's putting Jesus Christ as your number one priority. We too need to come before winter. For even in our celebration of spring, winter will come again. When Kurt Warner was quarterbacking the Arizona Cardinals, he and his family started a tradition that they called the restaurant game. The night before he would leave for a, uh, a road game, Warner and his wife and their seven kids would go to one of the local restaurants, and uh, one of the children would be appointed to pick out a table, of, uh, another family at one of the tables. And so when he picked the table, uh, the, 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 the Warner family would pay anonymously for that family's meal. That family never knew where it came from, but that was one way that they extended to somebody else a moment of grace. Actually, what Kurt was doing was he was teaching his children a lesson. It was a reminder that when Kurt himself worked the night shift at a grocery store and they only had food stamps to feed their family. That was before the NFL gave him a, a chance to, uh, to work as quarterback. Warner said, he said, we want our kids to grow up knowing that we are blessed. We never want them to lose sight of what it's really about. Our circumstances are not the most important thing. It's what we do with our circumstances. Kurt Warner is retired from football. And today he oversees his Christian foundation called First Things First. His motto is this, faith and family first. I think that's quite a legacy. 
And I'm quite sure that his kids will grow up with these values and that legacy, living out what they have seen lived first in their father and mother to leave behind them a legacy to follow as well. First things first. By the way, church history tells us that Timothy finished strong. Some even suggest that at the age of 80, at the age of 80, Timothy was martyred for his faith. And he handed off the baton to the next generation and to the next. And now the baton is in our hands. What are we going to do with it? For generations to come, I want them to have the same strength that has been given off to us. We need to do our best to leave a legacy that is worth following. What will future generations find in you that is worth imitating? If you want to finish strong, speak up and share your faith. Reach out and build lasting relationships. Act now and make Jesus Christ your top priority.